Live from Chatterbox Sports Studios, it's Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman. Good morning, good morning, and a pleasant good Wednesday morning to each and every one of you. This glorious weather here in greater Cincinnati, Ohio, and specifically the heart of Hamilton, Ohio. Our Chatterbox Studios continues. Nothing but sunshine. Not sure we've seen a cloud in four or five days, maybe longer. Casey, Paul, good morning, men. Good morning, Tom. Jacob, good morning. Everybody doing all right? Fantastic, Tom. How are you doing today? Paul, you look like you got a little sun yesterday. Yeah, a little bit. We were outside talking to all the Big East coaches for the baseball tournament, so we were we were outside for about seven straight hours, and no sunblock led to a little bit of a little bit of life in the in the face. Turf field. Yeah. No, no turf. No turf. Natural grass. Natural oh, grass. Prasco. Prasco. It's a big league place. Big league place. And you'll yeah. be doing the play-by-play for the Musketeers. Uh, or for the conference or what? Yeah, so we rotate through. So tonight I did get assigned the Xavier game, but then tomorrow it depends on who wins and loses. Who is the favorite in the Big East Baseball Conference Tournament? So Connecticut is the ninth-ranked team in the country. Um, so they have the overwhelming favorites. So they – I wouldn't say they're the overwhelming favorites because they did lose a game – I mean, they have lost a couple of games here lately, so I wouldn't say they're as overwhelming as they have been the last two years. They've won it two years in a row. So I don't think they're as overwhelming as they have been the last two years. I think all three of the other teams have a, a decent chance, and Connecticut's in anyway. So, you know, uh, Connecticut's going to make the NCAA tournament. So for the conference, it would be good to see one of the other teams win it, get two teams in. Of the other remaining teams, yes. what are Xavier's chances? Xavier has a pretty good chance because this year they finally have the pitching. Okay. Yeah, years, that's key. Years past, yeah, especially in a tournament like this, Tom, yep. where you're playing double elimination and you're playing, you know, potentially four games, five games in, in three days, depending on how you do it. Yep. It's all about day one. Because if you lose day one and you go into the loser's bracket and then you have to come out of that, you got to win again Thursday, Friday, then win two Saturday. That's so hard to do. But if you win on day one, changes the whole complexion of the deal. But pitching this year is as it is every year in a tournament like this. It's huge. So, to so have Xavier faces who tonight? That plays Seton Hall at 6.30. And Seton Hall any good? They beat Xavier two out of three in the series about a month ago. Uh-huh. So that was it. But it was very close. One run games at, right. uh, at, okay. at Xavier. Uh, shows an hour long today. Um, box lunch comes your way at noon. Looking ahead to tomorrow, we're very excited about tomorrow. We're excited about today. One day at a time, as they say, right? So we welcome you to Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers. I'm Tom Brenneman, along with a cast of thousands here in the studio and the chat and online. We come your way Monday through Friday, 10 a. to 12 p. And you can find us. Go to YouTube slash Chatterbox Sports. You can also find us in podcast form. Just search Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman and you're dialed in. So... After a series opening win on Monday, it was back to the loss column last night for the Red Legs. And most importantly, this disturbing trend continues for this young trio of Red starters. In this case, Graham Ashcraft. After beginning the season as one of the best pitchers in the National League, granted small sample size through March and April, Ashcraft was lit up for the third time in May in five starts this month. And we will get into some of these numbers in a minute. Ashcraft is 0-3. In five starts, he's thrown 23 
innings. He's allowed 27 runs. That's an earned run average of up above 10. Are you worried? Tell the truth. T.J. Friedel, he returned last night, had a couple of hits, scored a run. And how about rookie Matt McLean? You have this video, right? I do. Well, let's see it. This came in the third inning against Adam Wainwright. They call that oppo power, opposite field power in Great American Small Park. But how about Matt McLean? His first major league home run, he drove in three runs last night. Good for him. Congratulations. And against Adam Wainwright. That's big time. Be able to tell the kids, the grandkids about that. Adam Wainwright, one of the best pitchers over the last 15 years. Out of the bullpen, starter, he's done it all. Uh, but his three RBIs, not nearly enough. In an 8-5 loss, game three of the series, and that's a four-game series, is tonight. First pitch, 640. Lefty Steven Matz. Everybody thought this guy was going to be great, me included, when he came up with the Mets. Battled a lot of injuries, kind of up and down. When he's on, man, he's on. When he's not, he's not. And he'll be opposed by right-hander Ben Lively. The two teams will wrap up the series tomorrow afternoon. Elsewhere in baseball, Garrett Cole reached 2,000 strikeouts in his career for the Yankees last night. And he did it the third fastest in the history of Major League Baseball. 278 games. The big unit, Randy Johnson, got there in 262 games. Clayton Kershaw did it in 277 games. Interesting to note. Cole also did it in the third fewest number of innings behind Chris Sale and the great Pedro Martinez. Cole is just the 88th pitcher in the history of baseball to eclipse 2,000 strikeouts. How bad are the Oakland A's? They lost last night to Seattle, putting their record this year at 10 and 40. 10 and 40. It makes last year's red start look like the 27 Yankees. Ooh. It's the fourth worst start in Major League history since the 1932 Boston Red Sox. On the hardwood, don't count the Boston Celtics out quite yet. They held off elimination in game four of the Eastern Conference Finals last night in Miami. A 116-99 win, so game five tomorrow night. They go back to the Boston Garden. Miami can close them out, leading the series three games to one. The University of Cincinnati broke ground on its new 84,000-square-foot indoor football practice facility and performance center yesterday. It's expected to take two years from start to finish. Xavier Paul, big news. Yeah. Going to play Purdue in what is called the Gavit Games under the former great Big East commissioner Dave Gavit. And that's this upcoming basketball season. The game is scheduled as part of the Big East Big Ten Challenge to be played on the Boilermakers' home floor. Now, we were talking about this earlier. The big man, Zach Eady, yeah. player of the year. Yeah. Right? He has not decided yet whether he's turning pro. 
Yeah, no, he has not, and he only has a few days left to decide if he wants to do that. I don't know what he gains from coming back, but I also don't think he would be drafted all that high anyway. If he would be drafted at all, I'm sure somebody with his size might take a flyer on him late in the second round, but he's not somebody that's going to get drafted very high if drafted at all. But like I said, if you come back, what's his stock? How much? What does he have to prove? Like, we know he's a big guy. What what else do we what else do we need to know? Maybe about? he likes college. Maybe he wants to be yeah. a two-time player of the year. I mean, you know, yeah. maybe he and wants to try to win a national champ. They got a good team. He also hasn't been playing basketball all that long. Or else, I mean, it's the stat, this crazy stat that I always give out is that there was a player on Purdue this year who had been on Purdue longer than Zach Eady had been playing the sport of basketball. So he still has stuff to learn. But from that perspective, we'll see what he we'll see what he decides to do. But either way. It'll be a fun game up at Mackey. Oh, there's no doubt about it. Great environment, great arena, yeah. Mackey Arena up there. Uh, NFL owners, in the name of player safety, and we will get to this in a minute, are changing the kickoff rules, apparently, for, again, uh, this upcoming season. A fair catch is being encouraged after teams started popping up kickoffs in recent years. The fair catch would be placed at the receiving team's 25-yard line, regardless of where in the field of play the ball is caught. Also, FC Cincinnati. First time they've played, I think, the New York Red Bulls. In what, three years did I read? Four years? Five years? Something like that? Yeah, since 2019, I think. Is that what it was? I couldn't remember. It was 19 or 17. But uh, they wanted penalty kicks, right? Yep, yep. To advance in the round of eight, to the round of eight, in the Lamar Hunt Open Cup. Your favorite tournament in the country. I have nothing against the Lamar Hunt Open Cup. I have met the Hunt family, uh, including uh, Clark, who runs the, owns the Kansas City Chiefs. He is a very decent man. His dad was a very good man. I have nothing against the Lamar Hunt Open Cup. Well, I I'm I just to... don't like it in the middle of your other season. Yeah, I'm about to go play it in November. About to break some news to you. One of our backfielders, defenders, they got hurt right before the end of the game, limping off the field, some sort of hamstring injury. Perfect. One of our starters at that. One of the one of the few starters that actually play in the game. They got hurt. How do you feel about that, Tom? That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> that's, that, well, that's one of a number of things I'm talking about when it comes to playing these senseless tournaments inside of your own regular season where you're trying to win a championship for yourselves, for your coaches, for your fan base, for your city. And now you get some guy hurt. Because he's playing in the Lamar Hunt Open. Come on. A lot of people get on me for beating this up. It's not going to stop, so just get used to it. It's not stopping. Especially if guys start dropping like flies. All right, I want to uh, get to a couple of topics today. I want to start with, were we able to get that graphic put together yep. or no? Yep, I've got them. Okay, so listen. And, and, and I'm going to take this another, we are going to take this another step further um, and start comparing some of these numbers 
to some other great pitchers or pitching trios in recent years. All right. We're going to make the comparison ultimately to the three guys who pitched in Oakland that led that team to the playoffs every year. They could never get past, you know, uh, the divisional round or the league championship series round in Oakland when they had Tim Hudson, Mark Mulder, Barry Zito. Now, that was a big three. And we're going to have some numbers that back it up. Apples to apples on this deal, okay? Some high school guys, some college guys. But we're going to look at their age and their second year in the big leagues. The other two of the three we're going to put on the list, because we're not going to include Greg Maddox on the Atlanta Braves big three. They got him to the playoffs 13 years in a row, whatever it was. Um, but Glavin and Smoltz, we are. Because same deal. They come up to the big leagues young, like Green, Lodolo, Ashcraft. Where were they at the same age or at the same point in time in their career? Second year in the big leagues. So we're going to have all that coming up. We're going to wait till we get to the end of the month. But when you start looking inside some of these numbers, I ask a very serious question when I say this, okay? Are you worried? What if this big three doesn't turn out to be what everybody thinks it's going to be? And I'm not suggesting it won't. It very well may turn out to be a big three to lead the Reds to contention and perhaps one day the postseason in the World Series. But let's start with Graham Ashcraft. Can we actually start with Hunter Green? We can really start quickly. with Hunter Green. Sorry. No problem. Uh, so we start with Hunter Green. Let's look in the month of April. So we're going to go game started, record. Okay, some put more stock in that than others. The number of innings pitched, the number of hits allowed, and the number of runs allowed. In the month of April, Hunter Green, and this is March and April, Hunter Green gets five starts. He goes 0-1 in five starts, so not even averaging five innings per start. He goes 24 innings. He allows the same number of hits. He gives up only eight runs. Looking good. How about May? Four games started so far. Still winless on the year. 22 innings pitched, 26 hits allowed, and 17 runs. Not good. Okay, let's move on. Who's next? Let's do Nick Lodolo. Let's still look at Nick Lodolo. Now, this is a little unfair because he's been injured. But these are his overall numbers on the year. He has made seven starts. He, too, is not averaging five innings per start on the year. And he's had a couple of great outings. Now, I know this is small sample size stuff. I get it. But these are the numbers, and the numbers don't lie. In 34 innings, he has given up 50 base hits and 24 runs. Now, we're going to give him a little bit of rope. Because apparently his leg's been bothering going all the way back to spring training. He kept pitching through it. They thought originally it was a calf injury. Then they find out 
It's more the tibia, the fibula, and that serious stuff. I don't know when we're going to see him again. I've brought up on this show. His isn't broken. I've broken mine. He was a young man in his 20s. I was in my late 40s. And I'm no athlete. He is. But anybody will tell you, you're better off breaking your thigh, your femur, than you are a tibia or a fibula. Okay. So now let's get to Ashcraft. April, five starts, averaging six innings per start, plus he allowed in the 30 innings 29 hits and just seven runs. Here we are in May. Five games started, again without a win. 23 innings pitched, barely over four. It's four, less than four and a third. He has given up a whopping 38 hits, 27 runs. So, gentlemen, I turn to you. And our boss, Trace Fowler, is all over my case in the chat saying this is a bad take. Could somebody explain to me why it's a bad take? Maybe why I get Trace in here why it's a bad take. Look, I'm not going to argue against it. I mean, you're allowed. Well, but, this but, is an open forum here. You can disagree. I want you to just quickly finish your thought. What What are you trying to get at with these? Are you here's trying to say that? what I'm uh, what I'm ultimately I, I, I'm really not getting at anything at the end of the day. I'm just laying it out there that, and, and we're going to roll this into a different kind of discussion a little bit later on. But about. I have always said one of the greatest dangers in life, expectations. Now, you can have drive and goal, and you better have drive and goals, right, in your life, or you're going nowhere fast. Nowhere fast. There's got to be pressure. Now, some people handle pressure better than other people, but there has to be some pressure. There has to be some adversity. And perseverance. Nothing comes easy for every single person. Everything doesn't go smooth. So where we're going here now is all of these guys have tasted success most of their lives. Right? Right. Little League, they're the best guy. Right? High school, best guy. College for some, best guy. Minor leagues, best guy. Now, all of a sudden, you're at the pinnacle. This is, as we say, the big leagues. I am interested to see how these young men now respond. Because right now, all three, whether it be injury for Lodolo, ineffectiveness for the other two, albeit a decent start by Green his last time out. Where do these young men go from here? Well, I mean, I, I mean, the month of May has just not been good for this Reds baseball team in general. Um, and we kind of knew going into it that it was going to be a tough stretch anyways. Um, a lot of tough matchups. I, I want to say that 
Ashcraft is more closer to the April than he is to the May. Um, you know, you're looking at probably more closer to like that 25, 28 hits a month, um, closer to like that 15 run. That mo what's what's more likely is that there he's somewhere in between. You look at Hunter Green, and Hunter Green to me has not shown that he can get through yet that he can get through many innings. I mean, it's just, it's just that simple. He just yep. can't, he can't, I don't know what it takes for him to get over that hump. Longevity in the starts. He went seven innings the other day. Oh, as you already said, yeah. I mean, so, you know, we're talking about how do you bounce back? Okay. And you can only go by what have you done for me lately? Right? So right. his most recent start to your point, Casey, he made a step in a positive direction. He was much more pitch efficient. He was only at 85 pitches at the end of the sixth inning. Normally, he's at that at the end of the third or fourth innings, which is why he's having to come out of games. So, step in the right direction. But continue, please. But the one thing that is the most concerning out of all this, really, is just the amount of hits that these guys are giving up compared to April. April was like that time where people are getting – it's like the beginning of a football season where first couple of weeks uh, you're getting into your groove, you, you're trying to figure out your identity as a team. Now we're in the month of May and it's like, okay, people are starting to really get into their groove, they're hitting well, and our pitching just they're, – they're, they're just getting hit too often. That's just all it really boils down to is that there's not uh, there's not confusion. There's no um... – Nick Kirby makes a good point in the chat that the walk rates are lower. But what do you make of the, the walk rates versus the hit? Well, you know, I was just saying about that because I saw Nick chimed in and we appreciate him jumping in because he is on his game when it comes to baseball and on the Reds and, and everything. And I respect anything he has to say. I might disagree with it, but I certainly respect it. I mean, he's a knowledgeable guy. He follows his stuff, uh, so I give it up to Nick Kirby. But when he makes a comment, I would rather them get hit hard than giving up walks. I have a hard time understanding that logic. Yeah. Now, walks will make you crazy, and that old thing in the you know, ballpark, walks will haunt. There's no doubt about that. There's no doubt. Their walk rate is not bad. But look, there are some guys with their stuff, okay? And you would think that Green would fall into this category, right? Where their stuff is good enough where they can pitch around a walk or two. I'm not saying you want that to happen. But I've seen a lot of really good pitchers out there who will walk some guys, but their stuff is good enough where they're not getting hit hard and, and they're missing bats. These guys aren't missing bats. Okay, so... When you say, let's assume for a second their walk ratio wasn't all that good. What would those numbers look like now at the rate they're getting hit? Right. Now, you can say woulda, coulda, shoulda, and I get that. So, okay, their walk rate is what it is. But these guys are getting hit and hit hard. And I know they're young. And, and listen, I'm all in for giving them 
the benefit of the doubt here. But again, it all gets back to what I have said from the very, very beginning. Don't buy the hype for anybody. Don't buy it. Don't buy the guy who's the number one prospect with the Dodgers. Don't buy the guy who's the number one prospect with the Blue Jays. Don't buy it. You can root for him. You can hope for him. But what do they do when they get here? This is the big leagues. Experience counts for something. The more repetition you have doing certain things, the chances of you getting better are extraordinarily likely. So, they're all young. They're all in their second year. Each of the three has had to battle back from varying degrees of injuries. Green all the way back from Tommy John. Ashcraft missed time last year. Lodolo did too. Lodolo is hurt again this year. I'm just saying that it's nice to have hope in all three of these guys if you're a Reds fan. I want to see all of them do beautifully. I don't want to see any person in this world fail. I don't root for guys to fail. If you want to find people who root for people to fail, just jump on Twitter for five seconds. <laughs> and you'll find a whole boatload of them by the millions. And all they're out there doing is looking to beat up somebody who made a mistake or just pound somebody because they don't want them to succeed. Because they have issues in their lives. All of us are hoping these young men are everything you want them to be. You want them to be. You want good things to happen to good guys. They seem like good guys. They're articulate. They're well-spoken. You can tell they're decent human beings. They've never been in any trouble. But I'm just saying, don't buy the hype. You ask me where all this is going. That's where it's going. And these numbers are going to tell us and what happens from here moving forward. But the question I have for you is, Paul, go ahead. You well, I was, go I was going to ask you a question. What's the sample size you need here, Tom? I mean, I know it's, it's only April and May, so you're going through these games and you're looking at these numbers, you're comparing April and May, but we're only talking about five starts in April or and that's four starts in May or whatever it might be. So, so to you, as somebody who has been around the game for as long as you have and has seen these guys, talked to these guys, talked to these coaches, drawing on that experience – What's the sample size you need to, to render a bigger judgment on? Well, on I'm going to give him for sure through the end of this season. Yeah. For sure. And, I mean, look, when I say that, you've just given Hunter Green a six-year contract. And you have Lodolo and Ashcraft under control. And you can throw Williamson into that thing. I mean, he was a big guy coming over in the Seattle trade when you shipped off Winker and Suarez. I had no problem with those guys getting shipped off. A lot of people were upset about that trade. I didn't mind that trade. Suarez was starting to, 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 to you know, spiral downward. Awesome dude. One of my favorite guys I've ever met in, in baseball. Eugenio Suarez. Love that guy. Winker, you couldn't keep him on the field. Guys hurt all the time. So, look, I have no problem with it. And you have all these guys under control. So, even if they don't have good years this year, they're all going to be here next year. If good Lord willing, they're healthy. I mean, Green's going to be in there, guaranteed deal. The other guys aren't even up for arbitration yet at the end of the year. So they're basically on less than rookie contracts to draw the 
professional football equivalent of it. But what you want to see, Paul, is in my opinion, what I want to see is I want to see guys who, okay, they hit this bump in the road. What happens next? Now, some people are going to lay that at the feet of the pitching coach, Derek Johnson. He's a part of this thing. Some are going to lay it at the feet of David Bell. In my opinion, David Bell doesn't have anything to do with this. Nothing to do with it. I got one question for you, Tom, about kind of something similar, or actually not similar. I want to circle back to Kirby's comment about he'd rather have guys be hitting it hard than, than the pitchers um, walking batters. Is that is that coming from a place of the reason why they're giving up all these hits? Is it maybe because, and not so many walks, is it because that they know and that the Reds organization knows, David Bell knows that the defense is not solid? So, or not, I, I don't know. That's not the correct That is the correct it. term. But it's not solid, so like – you're giving them more chances to, to to perform if you're letting it be fly balls or like I don't know if there's like any sort of scheming that goes on with that. I would imagine that walking would be more efficient for a defense struggling team than. than well, you want the ball the put field. in play on the fewest number of pitches possible, and and what you have is is say like a guy like Hunter Green, okay, and a lot of big strikeout pitchers, all right. You'll hear this setup, and I'm not talking about the established future Hall of Fame guys. Some of the names I ripped off a minute ago talking about Garrett Cole strikeouts, the Randy Johnsons, the Clayton Kershaws, the Pedro Martinez of the world. I'm not talking about those guys. Because they, 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 they were throwing 125, 135 pitches in a game. But a guy like Hunter Green, you'd like to see him become a lot like Cueto for example, in recent terms. Cueto was a big strikeout guy. Could have been an enormous strikeout guy. But he finally figured it out as a very, his first major league debut, I did the game against Arizona. He punches out 10 in seven innings. He could have been that guy. His stuff was good enough to be that guy. But he figured out, wow, I could find myself in the game in the seventh or eighth inning if, you know, I locate the fastball, let the guy put the ball in play, hit a ground ball to the second baseman, first, second, third pitch of the at-bat. Rather than strike one, ball one, foul ball, ball two, ball three, swing and a miss. Now you're at a six, seven pitch at-bat instead of two pitch at-bat because all those pitches will catch up with you at the end. Of the There's no doubt in my mind the defense, somewhere in the back of their minds, and they're never going to admit it, some in the back of um, – Somewhere in the back of the mind. If you've got a bad defense playing behind you, it will start to weigh you down. Now, they've gotten a little bit better on defense since they moved Senzel to third base. Steer was starting to play pretty well down at third. And they moved him over to first base. Okay? And, you know, they'll mix and match some guys in there with Stevenson and, you know, some other guys uh, at first. And, you know, the whole Votto thing, we'll see how it plays out. Look, at the end of the day, Paul, were you getting ready to ask me a question? I, I was just going to say, was there somebody in particular that stands out when you talk? Because you've talked so much in the last few weeks about not buying the hype on these guys and waiting until they prove something in, 
in the majors and getting to a point where they have a solid major league career. Is there somebody that you're thinking of that you remember earlier in your career that you were in on that didn't pan out that has caused you to think like this? Or are you, is this just an evolution of how you have thought from the 30 plus years you were in? It, it is just a matter of talking to people who know a lot more about it than I do that have been around it a lot longer than I have. And I mean, I'm talking about major league managers through the years. I'm talking about major league general managers through the years, talking about players themselves uh, in regard to other players and, and, and not, you know, saying, oh, the guy ain't going to make it. I don't mean that stuff. I'm just talking about you listen to enough people. And if you really listen to what they're saying, and they're not trying to sell you a bill of goods. Because there are certain general managers, you'll sit there and talk about guys in their farm system, and they will tell you how great each and every one of them is going to be when they know in their heart of hearts that's not true. They know it. I mean, the numbers bear it out. The chances of becoming, you know, from double A to triple A to the major leagues, even being just an average player and sticking around for a long, long time, the odds are nearly impossible. They're overwhelmingly impossible. Now you're talking about those odds coming even further, getting longer, when you're talking about becoming an everyday player or a guy who stays in a starting rotation for three, four, five years. And now you take the odds even longer of that same person becoming a great player or pitcher. So that's all it is. Is just talking to and look the numbers bear it out on how long these careers last, right? We see it in other sports. It's the same thing. I'm not saying this is exclusive to baseball. There was somebody out there, a lot of somebodies out there, and it doesn't make them. It doesn't mean they're dumb. They just happen to see something in Ryan Leaf that they liked better about him than Peyton Manning, right? Yeah. Doesn't make him an idiot. Doesn't mean they need to be scolded for it. That's not the point of this. And the Reds have all the hope in the world about these guys. I mean, look at somebody just in the chat, Alex says. What about John Ross? <laughs> Again, I'm not beating up John Ross. I'm just saying. Because the guy runs a 4-1-4, whatever he ran, 40, fastest all time, all that stuff, right? Okay. That's awesome. And, and, and some of those metrics they use at the combine, in football's case, or some of the numbers they put on players when you're scouting them on the scale that they use, you know, the 40 being a highest as a base runner or an outfielder or a throwing arm or power or speed or whatever it might be, those are all fine. For these young men, it's going to be all about because they have the stuff to get it right. They wouldn't be here if they did. But more than anything else in this Reds franchise and the future success and or failure of this franchise, and whether these young men like it or not, but they know it. The Reds are putting almost all the eggs in that basket. But you have to put your eggs in some basket. I, I, no, right? I understand that. I, I'm just like saying. It, yeah. Yeah. Oh, there's no doubt about it. I mean, you got to. Like at some point, legs. you got to plant your flag in the sand and right. do something. And those are the guys. And they, and, and they have shown you enough by what they've done coming up. They've, with the stuff that they have, they've shown you enough 
that you can plant that flag in the sand and say, these are our guys moving forward and we believe in them. Right? Yeah. I mean, you, you got to have five starters in a rotation. Yeah. And, and, and most general managers, I think, uh, you know, th- they'd love to take the chance on, if you throw in Abbott, all five of these guys. Green, Lodolo, Ashcraft, Williamson, Abbott. Every general manager in baseball would love to have those five guys. Maybe not in their rotation today, but certainly within the next year or two. Right? Yeah. Okay. So, we will see uh, how that plays out. Um, The other thing I want to get into a little bit here was this player safety thing in the NFL. Now, when I was doing the NFL for 25 years, every year for 25 years, right when Fox started in 1994, um, we would have a seminar out in California uh, where Roger Goodell would come out, and there'd be all the big guys you see there on Fox, right? At the time, the Joe Bucks, the Troy Aikmans, the Terry Bradshaws, the Howie Longs, the Michael Strahan, the Jimmy Johnsons, all, you know, all these guys, right? And then all the producers and all the directors and all the announced teams. And back when we first started, Madden and Summerall were there, and, you know, Stockton and Millen and all these guys, John Lynch and um, Brian Billick and Chris Spielman, on and on and on and on and on. And all the producers and directors and the graphics guys, the guys who work in the truck. So we'd have, you know, a few hundred people in this big meeting room uh, at a hotel in L.A. And every year, uh, over the course of two or three days, you would have different, just like all of you, when you go to some, you know, seminar or convention for your workplace. You know, you, you have certain topics that will take up from 10 to noon. And then you take a lunch break. And then from whatever to whatever, right? All the way until 5, 6 o'clock. So, Roger Goodell would come in and would talk about a number of different topics going on around the league, and people would ask questions. No one in there was allowed to record anything, uh, whether it be on your phone or an audio device, whatever it might be, and it was just a very frank, open discussion. There would be players there, former players there, guys like Bradshaw or Howie Long or whomever, uh, Tony Siragusa, God rest his soul, who... They would really challenge Goodell about player safety and where the league really is in regard to player safety. I will say, whether you like Goodell or don't like Goodell, whether you like the NFL or don't like the NFL, meaning the corporate NFL, okay, um, I genuinely believe they very much care about player safety. If they... Think of what the alternative would be if they didn't. Is it good for the business of the National Football League to have Aaron Rodgers concussed? Is it good for the National Football League and their television partners that are paying billions of dollars over the length of contracts to have the Chiefs playing the Bengals and Pat Mahomes can't play because he's hurt? No. It's bad for business. So they want the key parts of uh, people who are good for their business to be as healthy as they can. They have poured in hundreds of millions of dollars, and that is not an exaggeration, maybe billions of dollars into player safety issues. They basically, the NFL, is basically uh, seed money for hundreds of companies that have sprung up through the years that 
they want to do some kind of research and testing on a helmet or shoulder pads or whatever it might be. And the league seed money for a lot of these companies, and a lot of them fail. A lot of them, the tests don't bear out that it's worthwhile to, tr- to think about having the league you know, bring that product in. Okay, so I think they really do care. I really do. And part of that seminar would also include the guy who's the chief doctor, medical director of the National Football League. And they would spend Lord knows how much money on all of these different... They, they, they put up a graphic of punt returns, number of concussions, okay, and, and all this kind of thing. Kickoff returns, number of concussions. Right? Regular plays from scrimmage, number of concussions. And they would go into all of this kind of thing. And so they are paying attention to it, and they want to fix it. Here's where the NFL starts to lose some people, and especially its players. If you're going to sell the argument of player safety, let's look at what transpired the last... 24 hours from the owners' meetings. One day, you're going to flex Thursday night football games for weeks 13 through 17. So let's just theoretically play this out for a second. During the first 12 weeks of the season, the games are already posted on who's playing Thursday night. No player likes to play on Thursday night, but they get it. It's part of the business of football. It's big money for the league, which means it's big money for the players, so they go along with the program, okay? You and I would do the same thing. We would, okay? We would. If it put extra dough in your pocket, and okay, one time during the year, I got to reload, feel like I was just in a car crash on a Sunday, and I got to find a way to get back out there Thursday night, you're going to do it one time. But now all of a sudden, so for those first 12 weeks, let's just say the Bengals. They're scheduled to play on a Thursday night, right? Within the first 12 weeks of the season. But that's your only game. Teams in a league only play one time on Thursday. That was the rule until two days ago. So now all of a sudden, you look at the Thursday night game schedule for this year, weeks 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. Those five weeks are the one game for each of those teams scheduled for Thursday where they have to play on a Thursday. Well, now all of a sudden the league is saying, well, we're going to flex those out or at least leave it open to the possibility of flexing it out. Well, what does that mean? It means a certain group of players will not play on a Thursday night the entire year. That's number one. And it's not a guarantee they'll all be flexed out. Number two is there will be another group of players who will play two times on a Thursday night where the risk of injury without question has to increase. With fatigue comes risk of injury, right? Right. Okay, so now they do that. And you had some owners that were livid. They needed 24 votes in the affirmative to pass this. They just got to 24. Then they come out yesterday, and in the name of player safety, 
they changed the kickoff rules because most concussions in a football game at the very highest level and, and all the way down to youth level, well, maybe not youth, but high school and college, most, most occur on punt returns or kickoff returns. And what teams were doing was they were saying, okay, we, you know, we're going to find this way after the rule was changed a few years ago. We're going to start popping the kick up. So the kickers would work on this where they pop that thing up. Guy would have to catch it at the 20, and I mean pow, okay? And, and now the team has a ball at the 20-yard line. They decide as soon as the ball leaves the kicker's foot, it doesn't matter if it's a ground ball that's picked up by somebody at the 35. You want to call a fair catch? Call a fair catch, your team gets the ball at the 25-yard line. Thus, you avoid the collisions that take place on kickoff returns. Guys flying down the field, pow, hitting one another at full speed. Do you think the NFL is being hypocritical, gentlemen, within a 24-hour time frame, or are you saying that's just the price of doing business? No, they're being hypocritical. Casey's not a big fan of the NFL, are you? <laughs> I'm not a fan of the, the money aspect of the NFL. I, I get it. I, I understand why they did it. It's for the money. I mean, they just want their primetime games to be good games, but... How much of this is reactionary to how poor the Thursday night games were this year? For the NFL's perspective? Yeah. Uh, I how much know. of this do you think is reactionary because we had to suffer through all of these horrific games on Thursday night this year? Games that, honestly, we turned off after the first quarter pretty much every week. Or never even turned on in the first place because you get home and it'd be the second quarter and it would already be something terrible. We had what? However many Thursday night games we had. Maybe had two good ones this year. Maybe. Well, I mean, there were I, some Thursday night games that were unwatchable. Right? Yeah, most, there was. Almost all I, of them. I would say that the in recent memory, it's been a bad slate. Or just last year. But I That's what I mean. I, I do not fall under the hive mind of this thought that all Thursday night football games were terrible this year. There's, I can tell you that there was at least five or six games that were good. But people just dismiss the thought of it because the first five or six were just miserable. Yeah, they were bad. I don't think I watched one of them. <laughs> out of out of like the first six games on Thursday Night Football, the only one that was good also happened to be the one where Tua got concussed. Yeah. Against the Bengals, which if you were watching that game, the Bengals pretty much had control of that game for the most part. But other than that, yeah, I mean, I – I do think it's a little bit reactionary from the league. Um, I think it's hypocritical. I think every team should have to play a Thursday night game if you're going to do that. I don't think that it's right for a, a team to be forced to play twice. I, I don't agree with that. Um, have you seen the schedule for Thursday night football this year? Jacob brought this up earlier. Have you seen the schedule? I've not seen the schedule. Okay, no. so week, it was weeks 13 through 17 that they're talking about the possibility of flexing out. Yep. So let's just look at those five weeks in the matchups. The, week 13 is not going to get changed. It doesn't matter if neither team's won a game because the Dallas Cowboys are on. Yep. Okay. So Seahawks play the Cowboys. Okay. Check that one off. Ain't changing. Patriots at the Steelers. Now, we don't know what's going to happen. We have no crystal ball. But television ratings matter. And the Patriots and Steelers are good for television, historically. 
They always have been. Now, both teams might stink. Maybe they flex it out. But those last three weeks, you've got Chargers, Raiders, right? Yeah. Yeah, Are you kidding? You've got Saints, Rams. Saints, Rams. Big time. None of these are division games except for that Chargers-Raiders. And then you have Jets-Browns. Now, you've got Aaron Rodgers. Okay? And I think the Brownies are going to be pretty good. But, again, you would be looking at teams, let's just say weeks 10, 11, 12. So, the Bengals play the Ravens week 11. So you would be 11 weeks into the season, and in theory, you could ask the Bengals to come back within two to three weeks and have to do it again on a Thursday night. How are we looking? Not great. I was just going to mention here as well, Tom, that week 14, I know that was the Patriots-Pittsburgh game. If you look at the schedule, like there's Buffalo at Kansas City, Seattle at San Francisco. Like, there's some, there's actually some, like, if you go through, you can kind of pick and choose which games are going to be the ones that they have flex it to. If all goes according to plan. Right. And I didn't have enough time to really look through the rest of the weeks, but like that Los Angeles Las Vegas game, that's a divisional matchup. I don't think they would flex that, but if they did, you're looking at maybe Dallas at Buffalo, Philadelphia at Seattle. Um, you know, the, I think, I think that it's, I was looking, trying to look through and see like maybe the Bengals get flexed on one of those times, but I, I didn't think there was any of the Vikings Bengals on week 14 or 15. I'm sorry. That maybe so that means four weeks later, if that game for some reason ended up being a game, right? Now, if you go way back, I think the Eagles play the first week of that Thursday night football, right? The first week? Yeah. In, in Philly playing that first week? Uh, it's Detroit versus Kansas City week well, one. Well, I meant that when they really kick into gear. That's a season opener, season opener. But the next Thursday night in, in Minnesota Philly. versus Philly, yeah. Okay, so Philly, you know, you talk about Minnesota. So Minnesota would have played that. And now you fast forward that to the Bengals game you talked about, right? Minnesota and the Bengals. So Minnesota would have played a Thursday night, the second game of the year. Okay, maybe they don't have to do it again until week 15. It's not good for anybody, but there's a big difference. Same with Philadelphia. They do it the second week of the year. Okay, maybe they do it week 15. The Bengals or the Ravens, if all of a sudden they're playing week 11 on a Thursday night, and now you're going to ask one of those two to turn around and come back and do it again two or three weeks later? Brutal. Brutal. Yeah, I agree. I don't, I'm not a fan of it, Tom. I don't like it at all. I think the problem, what Thursday night football should be, it, it should just be the rivalry week or the rivalry day for a certain division. I I don't get why you would even risk a Jets versus Cleveland. Like, make it a little more interesting. Make it Bengals-Browns or Steelers-Browns. Just make it, make it something to where it's Thursday night, we're going to be showcasing a divisional opponent and I guarantee you, you're probably not going to be flexing many of those games anyways because you're going to get the diehards of your teams watching that. Um, I think divisional games are much more interesting. But 
Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the numbers don't suggest that. So. Amazon paid eleven billion. That's B billion to televise Thursday night football for eleven years. One billion dollars per year. And back to Paul's original question. When you're paying that kind of cash, a billion per year, right? You want the uh, you you want the Bears again? Well, I mean, don't even put the Bears. You want the Texans against the Jaguars for a billion a year? Well, it's better than getting like two terrible teams that don't even have anything to really fight for. Is what I'm getting at. Like, why would you have? Why would you have like the Falcons versus the Raiders on a Thursday night game, which were some of the matchups that we got last year on Thursday night football? Now, granted, it was because Denver got a lot of those, and there was a couple other teams that probably didn't deserve to be on Thursday. They night did football, swing and miss but, on the Russell Wilson thing, but. I mean, let's let's keep it simple. You can market it to where it's rivalry week for this this team or this division or something like that. I I don't see how that can't be a thing. You know what I'm saying? Like market it market it in a way to where the fans are like, "All right, this is the rivalry day for this division." I don't know. If you want to put into perspective and you were talking about the ratings, right? Yeah. The first year last year, they were only down 400,000 people per game. That is not a huge number when you're going from basically over-the-air TV, okay, to a streaming service for the first year. That is not an enormous hit. To give you an idea to put things in perspective about maybe where we are, and I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing. And again, I don't care about the politics of it. But everybody and his brother for two weeks was talking about Trump going on CNN, Right. We have 330 million people that live in this country. And everybody talked about, it was the highest ratings that CNN has had in maybe ever, certainly in a long time. You know how many people watch that town hall? Do you see the number of people that watch that town hall on CNN that everybody and his brother has come out of the woodwork, good, bad, and different? Three million people. Out of a country with over 330 million people, three, and CNN is on every single way you can watch television. That's not like one of those, you know, deals where maybe it comes along with a program. It's on everything. Three million people watched Thursday night football in the National Football League on a streaming service last year drew 17 million people per game. That's how strong the National Football League is. And you know Amazon wants that number. They want that 400000 and then some back, paying a billion dollars a year. Right? They don't want to see the Texans and the Jaguars. So they're asking the league to help them. And the question is, where we started this whole thing is, is the league bowing down to player safety by doing it? 17 million Americans watching it Thursday night on a streaming service. When most games, as you point out, brutal. Right? Not all of them, but most of them. It's unbelievable.
NFL is king, man. By the way, Tom, there is one team that I'm seeing right now that plays two Thursday night games, and that's the Bears. Hell yeah. Why? <laughs> Out of all – I, whatever. Two, two primetime games slotted for the Bears. Okay. I don't know. Okay. I just – and like, look, like, what what are we doing with a, a Titan Steelers matchup? Well, I mean, look, like, in what, past what, years, that's been that's been a good matchup. But they were Titans were terrible last year, and the Steelers. We, I mean, I guess they've been a, a winning franchise for twenty plus years now. But I don't know. Like some of these matchups don't make sense to me. Like Jaguars at Saints. What are we doing? Like, what, 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 what appeal is there to any of that except for it's just two random teams? Well, I know, but you can't give the big game to every broadcast entity every week. I mean, you've got Sunday night football. People forget the highest rated show on television every year by far is the 425 Fox window on Sunday afternoon, which just goes to show you again that you don't have to play games in prime time to get monster ratings in any sport. You don't have to put games on at 10 o'clock at night where nobody can watch it. The highest-rated television program in the United States for 20 years is the Fox 425 window. But you can't give Fox... I mean, you can't... They're the ones that are paying the most money, Fox, CBS, then NBC, and then... Well, Monday Night Football somewhere in there, and then Amazon. You can't have the biggest game of the week on every Thursday night, especially when you're streaming it. You got to have your best games and your best teams on free free TV, right? Yeah. I mean, you got to. So, you know, on this part of it, the NFL, they're in a no-win deal. They're doing the best they can to make sure that Fox feels good about its schedule, uh, CBS feels good about its schedule. NBC Sunday night football feels good. Monday night football, there were some dreadful games on, on Monday night football forever after being the marquee event in the league forever. And now you got Thursday night, and they're going to mix in some Saturdays, right? Yeah, I was just also looking. Jets are also one of the teams that have two technically, technically two Thursday night games. One of them is... On a Friday, on the 24th. Yeah, Black Friday. Black Friday against the, the Dolphins. Is that is that somewhere not in uh, – that's not in New York, is it? That's one of the – well, maybe it is. I don't know. But then, then it's the last week, week 17, Jets at Cleveland. Somebody so. reported that the Bengals volunteered Here's what I found. to be the Black Friday game now and forever to the NFL. I think that is a stroke of absolute genius by somebody in the Bengals organization. I, I, I For the life of me, now that Burrow's on board, I have no idea how that team's not playing on Thanksgiving. I mean, you look last year at the four highest-rated teams in the National Football League. The Bengals were number four. I don't know how in the world they're, they're not playing on Thanksgiving. I think we all agree that, you know, look uh, – because of money and because of Ford and the relationship that, that, that the Ford Motor Company has had with the NFL, they're never going to lose playing on Thursday in Detroit on Thanksgiving Day. The Cowboys are the Cowboys. Every network wants them. They're going to play Thanksgiving. I just can't understand how the Bengals aren't playing on a Thanksgiving Day. But they said, okay, if not Thanksgiving, we'll take Black Friday the next day. 
And they're not even on that this year. What do you think the ratings would be like for a Black Friday game? Insane, right? Yeah. And maybe that's why the league says it doesn't matter. Everybody's off work. Most people are off work. Um, Casey and Paul aren't off work. No. Were you guys off last Black Friday? Uh, I was in Portland on Black Friday. I don't remember, to be honest. I don't. I don't usually shop Black Friday, so I don't really care to come in and work. So, okay, all right. Tom, you had one other topic before we get to box lunch. You had one other thing that you wanted to talk. I'm going to get it. You know, I, I just I um, and I'm not going to be able to get into it that deep. But you know, something hit me yesterday that I saw right before my very eyes, and and there's so many arteries off of this. I I need to think it through a little bit more. I mean, it directly affects, you know, maybe my family. What happened was, okay, so yesterday and tonight, uh, you know, our son's a lacrosse player at Marymount High School. They're playing for the regional championship tonight. They're playing against CHCA. And the girls at Marymount were playing in the regional semifinals at Marymount last night. So the boys' team had a practice early, uh, right before the girls' game, so they could get off the field and let the girls and the crowd and all that stuff come in. So, so the team watches film for 45 minutes, and now they're just going to come out and have guys run around a little bit because they had played the night before in the regional semis. And they're going to have these, you know, 15 to 18-year-old kids run around, just get loose, you know, hold deal, work on a couple things, and in and out, 35 minutes, tops. Here we go. I saw a kid break his leg. One of the better players for the Marymount team, kid named Nick, Nick Simmons. He's had a really nice year. In fact, he's up for the Cincinnati Enquirer uh, Player of the Week this week. Um, and I'm sitting there because I had gone over for the girls' game, and I'm sitting there in the parking lot just kind of watching the boys practice, and all of a sudden I see this kid fall down on the ground. And I'm like, ooh, that doesn't look good. And I knew who it was because I know all the players, their numbers, and they wear the practice, you know, whatever those things are called. I see him try to get up, and he sits back down, and he's got to get helped up, and off he walks to the um, locker room to get looked at by the trainers. Turns out we find out later a broken leg. So, you know, a lot of the guys on the team are really upset. Our son comes home, and, I mean, you know, they're just like, man, you know, you can't believe it happened to Nick. And, you know, and, and, and one of the parents at the girls' game says to me, well, next man up. And what's the first thing that you guys said to me when I told you this story? First words out of your mouth. Right? Next man up. And it got me thinking last night, and you guys just kind of reinforced it. What does that mean, next man up? And all the repercussions of that. In this case, for you know, some guy who hadn't played all year long and now is playing in the biggest game of his young life and the expectations. Talked about those earlier expectations this young person whoever it's going to be okay they're going to go into a position on the field tonight in a varsity game in the biggest game of the year there'll probably be 3,000 4,000 people at this game tonight and the expectation at the school that you play for every single year when the season starts is to not get to the state final four it's to win the state championship that's the expectation. And so now all of a sudden, a 14 or 15-year-old 
is carrying that burden of next man up. I'm all about pressure, man. I'm all about it. Give me the guys that have been through the pressure in life. I'll take those guys on my team all day, every day. And even if they fail, they're right there and ready to handle it. And if not, right now, they, they, they move on and they learn from it and they get better the next time. But Reed Mouse, you were a high school athlete. I mean, it's one thing to say it about a pro player. Mm-hmm. These guys are getting paid a lot of money. They've been through the big high school game. They've been through the big college game, right? Or say some guy at Alabama or a guy at Ohio mm-hmm. State or Phil in Michigan, whoever, right? Georgia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, those guys for next man up, that has an incredibly different meaning than a 15-year-old. Listen, it's nerve-wracking. You play to be in those situations, but it does apply an unneeded amount of pressure for a kid that already knows what he's going into, right? right? You don't need to add on to it. Someone put in the chat, it's like when a kid's pitching on the mound, 13-year-old kid, 12-year-old kid, can't find the strike zone, and some dad from the stands or some dad from some coach yells, throw strikes, basketball game, misses a layup, make your layups. Well, that would have been me. You're not helping anybody there. Right. Right. You're just adding more pressure on the kid. You're just almost uh, putting a, you know, a magnifying glass on his performance tonight or her performance tonight. I think it'd be interesting to get, and, and, and I'm going to look into this, because I, I, I find this kind of stuff so interesting, just from having coach use sports and see the difference. And there's just, you know, I mean, look, there's one in the spectrum to the other about what kind of pressure or expectations certain coaches put on, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, as opposed to what other ones, a nice little pat on the fanny. I know you tried hard. And, you know, and look, that style might work too. I don't know. I never bought it, but that might work too. Uh, there's a moment for that. Even if you're a hard ass, there's a moment for those times too. But, you know, we, we got to get some sports psychologist on here sometime to talk about um, the difference between a person who's 22 or maybe a college kid who's playing at one of those programs who's 19 as opposed to a kid who's put in that situation at 14 or 15, or like you're talking about, even younger, right? pitching in like some not-whole semifinal game, right? Right. right. You know what's funny, Tom? This, this bridges what you're talking about on so many gaps. So who does Luke play tonight? They play CHCA. Cincinnati Hills, Christian Academy, the Eagles, and the regional championship. Next man up. When I was a junior in high school, we're in the regional championship for baseball, and we're playing – Cincinnati Hills Christian Academy. Good baseball program. Yes. They had a kid named Cameron Varga who ended up getting drafted in the second round, struck out 300 kids in two years. He gave up two earned runs in his entire career. I had a broken ankle all season long. I come back for the regional championship game and we're facing off against Cameron Varga. He struck me out three times. (laughs) (laughs) Next man up though, Tom. Got a home up. We won though. We beat him. One of the two runs that he gave up were in that game. We won one nothing. How about that? Yeah. That's big time. Beat Cameron Varga. And Baden's right back in the hunt. I think CEHCA still is in the hunt for yeah. baseball. Yeah, I don't know if they're Division two or Division three. No, but I'm saying they're both yeah. still alive in yeah. baseball. Yeah. They both got great programs. Uh, Somebody said in the chat, your Baden guys were lucky to win yesterday. <laughs> yeah. Is that right or wrong? Not, not Extra right. innings? Is that right? Did I read that? No, they won 10 to nothing in five innings. Oh, I don't know what somebody made reference. I thought they were saying it was it was in extra innings. No. Okay. All right. Baden Rams. Twenty six and one. Liberal elites. Something like that. 
I remember I remember specifically playing basketball in high school. I was playing JV, and I remember my coach was pushing for me, pushing for me, pushing for me, maybe trying to get the call up to the varsity at the end of the year. And I will never forget this. I was having a pretty bad stretch of maybe four games, and the varsity team was playing right after. So the varsity coach is sitting in like the fourth or fifth row of the stands. And I was going over to, to inbound a ball on the sideline. I had missed like three shots in a row, maybe two turnovers. Terrible game. The coach looked at me and screamed and in a quiet gym as loud as he could. And Ooh. he just screamed at me, play better. And I was like, like, no advice, nothing, just play better. And I was like, what do you want me to – is there any – please help. I would love to know what you want me to do to play better. So now anytime I, any, anything comes up where it's just, I don't know what's going on. Just, hey, play better. Play better. Play better. Hey, got to bring the goods. <laughs> NCN. That's yeah. what it's all about. At the yeah. end of the day, it's what it's all about. Yeah. Bring the goods. Nutcutter Nation Unite. Barks lunch. Gentlemen, see you tomorrow. By the way, tomorrow, Willie Anderson, ring of honor for the Bengalis, yeah. right? He's got a big uh, camp coming up. With John Kitna, who is a new head football coach at Lakota East, right? Yes. Okay, so they're doing some kind of a football camp. Uh, and Willie Anderson's going to be there to uh, help coach up young offensive linemen. He'll be here to talk about that in his Bengals career a little bit. We have your good friend in mine, Ron Coomer. My good friend for sure. I love Ron Coomer. Listened to Ron my whole life. Longtime major league player, uh, has been the radio analyst alongside Hall of Famer-to-be later this summer, Pat Hughes, calling the Cubs games. He'll be here to talk about his career a little bit, also talk about the um, the Reds-Cubby series, which will start on Friday, right? Is that at Wrigley Field? It is. It is on the north side. Right. 120 start, 220 Eastern time. That's why I had to ask him for tomorrow, because right, I knew we had a day, day game. game. Do you like that, that they still do that? Oh, yeah. Fridays That's are great. That's the best. Yeah, the best. No doubt. No doubt. Friday afternoon, fantastic. Nothing beats it. Yeah, yeah. They've changed a lot of things there, but that they have not changed. Right. We I don't can, think they're allowed to change it. We can um, day games. But it's great, yeah. And so he'll be with us tomorrow. Tracy Jones will be with us tomorrow. Uh, so we got lots going on. All right, gentlemen, nice to see you. Yep. yep. Go Warriors. Go Warriors. Go Warriors. Go Warriors. All right. Go Warriors. Box lunch. Let's go. Here we go.